0: Thank you, Pastor Jaslyn. Good morning to all of you. Sudah makan Okay, some probably would have, some would, will be eating your lunch. It's always good to be in the house of the Lord and to fellowship with one another. Would not you turn to someone on the right and left and say, I'm glad you're here this morning. Yeah, welcome them. We are a family of PCC. Well, before we start off with this morning's message, let's commit this time to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your presence here. What a privilege it is, O God, that we are called your children. And Lord, we thank you for this wonderful relationship between you and us. And Father, even as we come this morning as a family of PCC, as your children, Lord, we want to commit ourselves to you once again. The Lord, we want to hear what the Holy Spirit has to tell us this morning. We ask, O God, that may You give us the wisdom, O Lord, to apply what we are going to hear from the Word this morning into our own personal lives so that our lives can enrich and add value to the lives of those that we know and for those that You are going to bring across our path. The Lord, the love of Jesus will flow through us, O oh God, and touch their lives, O oh Lord. Father, we pray that, Lord, may You glorify Yourself, glorify Your name this morning, even as the Word is being shared. Father, I present myself, that, Lord, may You anoint my lips, grant me clarity of heart and mind, even as I share the Word this morning. In Jesus' name, and everybody say, Amen, Amen, Amen. amen. Last last week, Pastor Isaac preached to us from the book of James. And he shared with all of us that suffering is part and parcel of our life. All of us do go through uh, trials, go, do go through challenges in our lives. But how are we going to respond when we go through challenges in our lives? And we learn from James that when we go through challenges and we go through trials in our lives, we are to rejoice why? Because God has a purpose for us to go through trials, go through tribulations so that we can be processed, so that we can grow into more and more Christ-likeness. You see, trials is to test our faith. And he ended his sermon by sharing with us also James chapter 1, verse 27, says that we are called to care for orphans and widows, in their distress, and refusing to let the world corrupt us. And therefore, I'm going to go into James chapter 2 this morning. Because it has got 26 verses, I'm going to break them down. For those of us who have read through the whole book of James, you know that chapter 2 talks about two things. One talks about not showing favouritism, Until verse 13, verse 14 onwards, he talks about faith must be accompanied by actions. If it is not accompanied by actions, it is called date faith. And so, with this overview of James chapter 2, let's plunge right in. James chapter 2, verse 1 says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith? in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, if you favour some people over others. It is very clear that this letter is addressed to Christians because James addressed them as brothers and sisters. And over here in in verse 1, James goes straight to the point that you and I, we should not favour people. Some people but rather we should place our faith in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the the reason why he wrote this is because Jesus is the one that you and I should honor rather than certain people. Why should you and I honor Jesus? Today, this morning, why should you and I honor Him? Simply because of one thing, of what Christ had done for you and for me. That Christ died on the cross for you and for me so that you and I can have that relationship with Him so that we can be called children of God and because of what Christ has done, we, can, we need to honour Him. We need to glorify Him. We need to bless the name of Jesus. That's what it means this morning. And so, James is teaching us one thing, and that is not to show favouritism. Turn to someone on the right and left and say, no favouritism. Yeah, don't show favouritism. You see, it is a big issue to God if you and I were to show favouritism. It's a big issue. See what Moses wrote and shared with us from Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. He says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords, he is the great God, the mighty and awesome God who shows what? No partiality. And not only does He not show favoritism, He doesn't take undercounter money. Cannot be bribed. You cannot bribe God. You see, there's the God who... In other words, God is a God of equality. He doesn't care whether you are rich or whether you are poor. He shows no partiality. Deuteronomy 10 verse 18, let's read. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. You see, orphans and widows during those times are defenceless. They are always oppressed. They are always taken advantage of. That is why God will be their defender. God will argue for them. God will defend them. God will protect them. And he shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. Foreigners here would also mean those who are staying with you, for those of you who have domestic helpers, your Filipino helper, your Indonesian helper. In this case, for Pinang Christian Center, we have Nepali guards who are down there. They are foreigners. And for those who are out there, you have Vietnamese you have got Pakistani, you have got Bangladeshi workers. They are in our midst and therefore, God is also for them. God loves them. And it is God who gives them food and clothing. It is God who is their provider as well. And so let us look at people through the lens of Jesus because God does not show partiality. So because of that, you and I, we should not show nor practice partiality. We should always treat people with respect. We should always treat people equally, no matter what their social status is. James chapter 2, verse 2 to 4 says, For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewellery. Another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, You can stand over there or or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? And James used an illustration. He says there are two groups of people, one rich, one poor. In in this case, if this morning someone comes in with a flashy clothes, probably Versace or Amani for the men. Maybe ladies, you come in with that diamond, the red diamond, or maybe you carry in a Hermes bag and we have people quickly rushing up and offering the person a special seat and then in comes a poor man, filthy smelly dirty and we have people say, sit anywhere stand also can not ushered But I believe PCC is not like that. I believe PCC people are very kind people who love the rich as well as the poor. But the reason why James is saying this is because the Christians that he wrote to had ulterior motives. They were thinking that here comes a rich man. Maybe we can get something out of him or out of her. Maybe by caring for him, by ushering him to a nice place to sit, to take good care of him or her. When the offering bag comes along, you may decide to put in a lot of money into the offering bag. Or maybe if we were having our missions pledge, you may write a big fat check for the missions pledge. They had ulterior motives in their hearts. To the poor, they say, what can you do? At least for the rich man, we can get something out of him or her. But for you, you may be asking for something from me or from the church, that we got to give it to you. So that is their their mindset. What can I get for you? You scratch my back, I scratch your back. That is probably what they are thinking about the rich men over here. But the thing is this, friends, favoritism doesn't end with the rich and the poor. Favoritism can come in many shapes. And many forms maybe if you are a parent you have a favorite child over the other and you create enmity between the two of them maybe if you are an employer you have a blue-eyed boy or blue-eyed girl that he or she can do anything in the office while the other employees cannot because why he or she is your blue-eyed boy or blue-eyed girl By showing favoritism, you are actually creating disunity among your workforce. Whereby you think that nobody knows, but everybody is eyeing. So don't think that people don't know. People know. People are intelligent now. They observe with their eyes. So is your children. So let's stop showing favoritism. Or maybe in a church. In a church, when you walk in, your eyes will scan the hall to see whether my gang is here or not. If my gang is here, I will sit with my gang. I will eat with my gang after service is over. And then other people who happen to walk past and you are already throwing invitation to your gang. The person is so near to you, you never even bother to ask whether do you want to join us for lunch or not. You just keep quiet. But of course, hey, Pastor, I never say that they are not invited. Yeah, but you never ask also. And sometimes by your body language, we can read that we are not your gang and therefore we are not part. We are not part of your gang, so we are not invited for lunch. You only run with your that's called favoritism. Is it wrong to eat with your group of friends with your gang? No, it is not wrong. It is good that you build strong relationships. It is good that you have friends in this church. But the problem starts when you are so inward-looking that you block other people from joining your so-called gang your so-called tribe, that you move with your tribe only, that's where we are wrong. That's why we hurt other people unintentionally. That's why I said, cannot, uh, cannot, cannot, join, cannot join them. They're so closely knitted that whatever conversation, we also cannot enter because they have their pet subject to talk about. And so let us be very careful that sometimes we may not be the one who is showing favoritism, but in unintentionally we show it and other people feel it. It's not happening in PCC only regarding cliques. Many churches also have cliques. But it is how we manage the cliques that we should not be so inclusive. We should not be so exclusive as well. We should learn to accept other people into our, our groups as well. So stop showing favoritism because God shows no favoritism as well. You know, there was a friend that I know of. He was very humble from the very beginning. But as he began to climb the ladder, after a while, he walks with his nose up there. He doesn't mix with any other people who is down below him. He forgot that he started from down there as well and he only thinks that he can learn from those people who are up there. Those people down there, he cannot learn anything. And that is a sad thing. Why? Because why he's showing favoritism that only, I can only learn from a certain group of people. So Jesus doesn't show favoritism. So in fact, his enemies, Jesus' enemies, had this to say about Jesus from Matthew chapter 22, verse 16, about Jesus not showing favoritism. He says, they sent some of the disciples along with the supporters of Herod to meet with him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favourites. Enemies of Jesus testify this about him. See, can our friends testify this about us or not? Your working colleagues, your children, your employee, what do they have to say to you if you were to tell them, "Please tell me honestly, whether do I show favoritism?" But here, the enemies of Jesus tells him, "You are impartial and don't play favorites. You see, Jesus is a friend of sinners. Though He disapproved of their sins and our sins, He still loved all of us and did not show favoritism as to whom He wants to say. In fact, He came. He died for everybody. He died for the whole world. Looking at all this, all of us who are seated here, aren't all of us sinners at one time? Yeah, we are all sinners at one time, but the thing is this, that Jesus died for all of us, irrespective of whether you are rich or whether you are poor, whether you are educated or whether you are uneducated, whether he, he died for you, he doesn't care what skin color you have, he loves you the same as he loves me. So when he died for us, for our sins, actually it was not a compromise. He was not compromising His stand, but He was showing compassion. That's why He calls us to to come into His presence, to welcome us. And when we trusted Him, He forgave our sins. He forgave us. As Christians, we should not judge people on what we see outwardly rather than what they are inwardly. Dress, skin colour, fashion, and other superficial things carry more weight for certain group of people, rather than the fruit of the Holy Spirit that may manifest in their lives. Many a times, we miss the mark. We look at the person outwardly. We never look at the fruit of the Holy Spirit, whether there's Christ-likeness in this person or not. But we look at the watch, the dress, the car, the, the place where the person lives and stays. one pastor had this to say. We were all made of dirt. There's white dirt, red dirt, yellow dirt, brown dirt, and black dirt. We all came from the same place. All of us are dirt. Too many times we judge someone's character by their outward appearance while forgetting we are all smelly sinners at one time. Our Lord did not look at the outward appearances. He looked at our hearts. was not impressed with riches or social status. Case in point is when Jesus witnessed the Pharisee and the poor woman. The poor woman gave all that she had into the offering. Everything. While the Pharisee, the rich Pharisee gave money as well. But he was a rich Pharisee and he boasted about it. And Jesus said that she was the one, She is the one who gave everything. So it's not how the person dress. Let us look at people through the eyes of Jesus. If we have a visitor here this morning who is a Christian, we can accept him because Christ lives in him. But if there's a non-Christian who comes in here this morning, we can still receive him or her because Christ died for him and for her. It is Christ who is the link between us and others, and Jesus is the link of love. That's why we must look at people through the eyes of Jesus. James chapter 2, five, verse 5 to 7 says, Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in what? Rich in faith. He didn't say rich in finance, right? to be rich in faith. Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom He promised to those who love Him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? James plays a very top urgency when he writes to the Christians during his time. He used the word, listen to me. The Jews really need to listen to what he had to say. And I believe he's telling us this morning, listen to me as well, said James. You see, James here contrasts God's choice of the poor with their dishonouring of the poor. Their treatment of the poor certainly stands in very sharp contrast to God's treatment of the poor. Their treatment of the poor is very inappropriate to their status in Christ. As Christians You and I should love the poor, the filthy, the down and out. It simply does not make sense for Christians to dishonor those who love God and love others and and honors God. Why? Because he says that poor Christians are not poor at all but rich in faith and they are heirs of the kingdom. Why are they rich? Because they love their God. They love God, the poor people. You know, when, when we were in Nepal, as I've shared in my previous sermon, that there are people who are willing to walk for four hours just to come for a meeting. Walk four hours. Whether it's raining or whether, whether it's hot, they will walk for four hours. Stay the night. And when they come, they have no bed to no mattress to lie upon. They will go walk into the church. They will lie on the carpeted floor. The next day, they will wake up early and they will wait for the meeting to start. And after the meeting ends, at about three o'clock, they will walk back four hours. The children will walk for two hours to come for the children's ministry as well. And then after that, they will walk back with no parents accompanying them. Are they rich? No, the, the Nepalese they are not rich. They are poor. But one thing that that we can learn from their life, is that they have commitment, they love God, they are willing to walk. Over here, how many of you walk to church this morning, four hours? None. Either we come on a bike, we catch a rapid, we grab here, or we, and we grab back. Over there, they walk. Bus 11, we call it. And so friends, That is why over here, the poor, they are rich because of their love for God. And it doesn't make sense for us Christians to dishonor the poor. You see, when our Jesus came to earth, He came to heal the sick and to save the lost. He came to those who were needy. He came to lift up the humble and needy and put down the arrogant. God saves us completely on the basis of the work of Christ on the cross. It's got nothing to do with you and me. Nothing that you and me do will save us. It is the very act of Christ on the cross that saved us, and not because of, of anything, but because of His love for us. So the poor in this world become rich in faith as children of God. They inherit the kingdom of God. You know, friends, it is possible for poor people to be poor in this world and to be rich in the next. Or you can be rich in this world and you can be poor in the next. Friends, it doesn't mean that if you are rich here in this world, you cannot be rich in the next. You see, chances is that some rich people, they lost their love for God because after a while, they say, I have everything. I'm comfortable. I've got a good house, good family, good car. I've got everything that I need. My health is good. I can go plan for my Vacation, Nothing wrong with that. But then later, because of all that God has blessed you, you start to skip church. You start to miss cell group meetings. You stop, uh, you stop fellowshipping with other people. And so you could have been rich here and rich in the next. But because of what you do now, you could be rich here and poor. In the next. See, the thing is that rich people, like I said, can become complacent. It's a matter of how you handle your finances, about how you handle your time as well. First Timothy six, seventeen to eighteen says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. For the poor also, you can be poor here and you can also be poor in the next. For the rich, you can be rich here and be rich in the next world also. It all depends on how you follow 1 Timothy 6.17. To eighteen that we have just read, James said, chapter two, verse six says, "Isn't the rich who oppress you and drag you into court, aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear?" So James is reminding the Christians, "Hey, you see a rich man coming, you take him to the best place, ask him to be seated. But have you forgotten that these are the people who oppress you and drag you into court? These are the people who slander the name of Jesus." He says, I cannot connect the dots. I cannot understand why you are treating the poor and dishonouring the poor, and you treat those people who are rich, who bully you. It just, it just doesn't make sense. That's what simply uh, James is saying. You see, if we really believe in God's grace, then you and I must treat people based on God's standards and not based on the standards of the world that is based on human merits and social standing. We understand if the world shows favoritism. In your office, you see people showing favoritism because they do not know the Lord. But it is a very sad and tragic thing when you walk into the church and you see the church practicing what the world practices. So what is the difference between the church and the world if we start to show favoritism? James chapter 2, verse 8 to 11 says, Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the Scriptures. Love your neighbour as yourself. But if you favour some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder so if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So what does the royal law here mean? The royal law is the law of the king of heaven. This law is taken from Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. "Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The question is, who is your neighbor? Who is my neighbour? Our neighbour is anyone who needs our help. It it includes the wealthy as well as the poor. We must love our neighbours with the same level of concern, not treating one neighbour better than another. So helping others is not based on geography but based on opportunity. Geography means wherever the person stays. It's got nothing to do with it. It has got to do with the opportunity that has been given to you and to me, how to help others. But the more important question is not so much as who is my neighbour, but to whom can can I be a neighbour? To whom can you be a neighbour today? To whom can you be a neighbour? To whom can you be a neighbour? To whom can you be a neighbour from now on? See, You see, friends, when you and I start to practice favoritism, we break the principle of equal treatment under the law. We just broke it. To show partiality of favoritism to some people and to discriminate against others is to break God's law. And we just read that if you show favoritism, it is a sin. In the eyes of God, you have already sinned. And if you were to break one law, you break the whole law. So if you have... So if you have, and you are still practicing favoritism, either to your children, to your employer, or to your employee as well, you have sinned. It is based on the Word of God. So as Christians, we must treat others the way God has treated us. At the end of the day is that the name of God is glorified when your staff, when your children say, hey, my dad or my boss treats everybody equally. There's no blue-eyed boy in this, in this department. There's no blue-eyed boy in this office. Then you will know that you have done well. You treated everybody equally. See, it's not easy for us to do this. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to align and to look at people through the eyes, through, through the eyes of Jesus. I know that some of us say, Pastor, some of my stuff are terrible. You don't know. That's why I have my blue-eyed boy and girl. But it doesn't matter. You talk to them. You love them as well. We are all sinners at one time. We rebel against God. But God doesn't give up on us. Some of us become Christians, also become later also backslide. We also don't want to have anything to do with God. But God continues to love us, continue to open His arms, just like waiting for the prodigal son to come back. And if God treats us like that, what makes us the right to treat others and say, ah... Got nothing to do with this person anymore. You see, there's always love, there's always forgiveness that's available. James 2 12 to 13 says, So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful. When he judges you, friends, all of us will have to face Judgment Day. And all of us have been warned today that we will be judged by whatever we say or whatever we do. Have you slandered anybody? Have you gossiped about somebody? How about something that you do? Have you been a good neighbour? Have you helped somebody? You see, God's CCTV up in heaven is recording everything that you and I say and do. Not only today, way, way back past. That's scary, isn't it? By the way, there are also CCTVs around here as well. So you happen to be sleeping, you'll be caught on, 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 on heaven CCTV as well as the CCTV over here. And this CCTV also recording also... Yeah, it says that whatever you say and whatever you do, will be, you'll be judged. All of us will stand and answer to God on Judgment Day. And what should we do then? We should, you and I should be motivated to speak and act with love, with compassion. We should all stop practicing favoritism and we should start, we should start to treat others equally. We should learn to give mercy to others if we want God's mercy to come upon us. If you are unmerciful today, this is what James said, if you have, but if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when He judges you. In other words, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. See, Jesus has shown mercy to us while we were still sinners, and so we must show mercy to others, and His mercy is still available to all of us today. So learn this. You want to be judged by God with mercy, you must first show mercy toward others today. Micah chapter 6, verse 8 says, Know, O people, that the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You know, this verse, Micah chapter 6, verse 8, is actually placed in my cubicle. Every day I walk in. I read this verse. Micah 6 verse 8. It's on my table. It's big. The plug is big. I cannot miss it. So the question is, how are you and I treating other people today? Will you and I pass the test or not when judgment day comes? Quite some time back, I was standing at the back of the hall near the table there. There's a table at the back there. I was standing there. That was before the praise and worship starts. There was a group of ushering, our uh, ushers who was already starting to usher people into the hall. I was standing there. I heard a conversation. I couldn't see who the person is. The person couldn't see me. But because our acoustics is so, so super good, whatever you whisper, people can hear. Really, whatever you, you, you whisper, people can hear. It's so super good. I was standing there. Somebody was a lady who walked in. Haven't even walked into, into the hall yet. It was outside, all the way to church already and asked, uh, can I find out who is the pastor who is preaching today? So the usher said, oh, pastor so-and-so is preaching. Oh, like that, huh? okay, I'll see you next week. I said, my goodness. I said, we have, we have people who come to this extent, drove all the way to church already, parked nicely already, walk up and, just because of a pastor, not her, not her favourite pastor, decide to drive home. By the, way, I, by the way, I'm not preaching that weekend also. <laughs> the point is this. That what if it is the pastor who is, happens to be standing there and hear this, and the pastor will be very demoralised? You know, being a pastor is not easy that they, we, we spend hours in preparing, reading the word of God and so on. We spend hours. But for all of you, you only spend about what, forty minutes to listen to a sermon. And then after that you start to criticize. Pronunciation wrong lah. Where you say this la? Huh? Yeah. Correct i got people after preaching, hey, pastor, you pronounce this wrongly. So I was wondering to myself. You hear this whole sermon or you keep on being my English teacher trying to, <laughs> to tell me that I pronounce this wrongly and so on. We've got even people phoning up in the, from the church office. Hey, who is preaching this weekend? Huh? Yeah, our staff will... So we, we told our staff, whoever calls up now, tell them. You come and you listen to the word of God doesn't matter who is preaching. And that's the point I want to share with all of us. Don't show favoritism. Even if it's not a favorite pastor, you come. And I hope that after hearing from the word of God, you will drop your favorite, your favoritism over any other pastor or any other cell members. You just come because I believe when you come, God has a word for you. God can still minister to you. Don't chase after other pastors. Don't chase because there's another speaker who comes from another church. Oh, this one, this one, I go to, I go, to I go. Sorry, PCC, I, I go and listen there. Be faithful to your church. Be faithful to God. So will you pass a test or not? Let's move on to verse 14 to 17, James chapter 2. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save you? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. And James is calling this lip service faith. Or today's context, we call it NATO. No action, talk only. Talk, 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 talk. You notice that James here has removed the rich man. He has, is not focusing on the poor. And the poor comes in. He describes hungry, no food, lack of clothing. And here you have a Christian. He who said, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. Eat what? Nothing to eat. The person walks into the church and walks out the same way. Nothing changed. You and I have not added value into the life of this poor man. James is short of saying that he also prayed, Lord, be with this person. Provide for him because you are Jehovah Jireh God our provider and after he said, hey, God will provide for you. No? Don't worry. No. You and I are expected to do something by telling him goodbye and have a good day, stay warm, and well. will not help the poor person. About three weeks back on a Wednesday before the corporate prayer meeting, Coxing and I, we normally go for, di- for dinner together. And we went to a coffee shop that's nearby. And as we stepped into the coffee shop, Sitting alone was someone that we know. He was none other than our night guard, Asing. How many of you know Asing? Yeah. Asing. He was sitting there with a cup of black coffee in front of him and he was staring into space. And I walked up to him, both of us walked up to him, Hey Asing, you're here? He said, Yeah, I'm here, Pastor. He said, Have you eaten or not? Because there was no plate in front of him, just a copy all. Have you eaten or not? He said, Pastor, I've eaten already. I said, you sure or not? I said, it doesn't look like you have eaten. Yeah, I've eaten. So what did you eat? Because I'm going to see whether he's, he's pulling a fast one on me or not. Uh, I ate noodles today. Sure. I said, because I'm going to order for you your dinner if you have not eaten. He said, no, no, no Pastor. He said, it's okay. I said, I said, uh, he said, no, I said, I've got no appetite to eat. I said, why? What happened? Where are you posted to now? Because the security company that we had their contract is uh, over, terminated. So I said, where are you now? He said, uh, I've been out of a job. Hey, I said, so long already, you know. It's about what, three weeks, three weeks plus already. You're, you, you're out of a job. I said, how about the rest of the guard? He said, the rest of the guard, they, 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 they have a job, except for me. He said, they, they cannot put me anywhere. Okay, I said, uh, have you been looking for a job? He said, yeah, but unsuccessful because of my age. I said, okay, let me see what I can do to help you. See, let me put my ears out and see whether there's anybody who wants to employ a security guard or not. He said, okay, thanks, Pastor. I said, sure you don't eat? No, he said, I've eaten. So I went and had um, my dinner with Kok Singh. Then I came back, he was still there. Hey, Singh, by the way, when did you have your noodles today? He said, lunch I said, lunch time, now it's dinner time. I said, I'm asking you for dinner, not lunch. So he said, yeah, Pastor, i got no... No time, no, 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 no appetite to eat. La. He said, I'm very worried. He said, I'm very worried. I said, it's okay, if you cannot eat now, how about I tap out for you? You take it back home and eat. So he told me it's okay, Pastor, it's okay. Then after that, I said, Okay, la. we'll keep in touch. Then he told me this. Pastor, before you go, one request, can. I asked him, Within my means, yes, I will help you. Share with me. So he said, Pastor, can I... Can you borrow me some cash? He, 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 he gave me a, a figure. I said, okay lah. Sing, take. Take. I told him, take and, and, and go and use it. He said, Pastor, when I find a job, I'll come back and return to you. I said, don't worry about that. Just take care of yourself first. Anything, I'll get back to you. I could have told him, saying. Believe in Jesus, lah. believe in God, God will provide for you. You see, you don't want to come to Jesus, you come to Jesus, you pray, lah. God will provide for you. He works miracles on, He's a Jehovah Jireh, God will pro- Is that going to change His situation? It's not going to change His situation. That is an opportunity for us to help someone who is really in need. You see, food and clothing are basic needs of every human being, whether he is a Christian or he's a pre-Christian. As Christians, you and I, we have an obligation to help meet the needs of people, no matter who they are, no matter what their status is. Matthew chapter 5 verse 4, uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 40 says, And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Friends, Jesus is saying that if you do this to one of the least, you're doing this to me. True faith will come with action. It will make a difference in the way that we live. Faith that fails to do what is required of us is called dead faith. James chapter 2, 18-20 says, Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish can you see that faith without good deeds is useless? So here we learn that we cannot see someone's faith. When you say I'm a Christian, I cannot see your faith, but we can see their works. You cannot see faith without works. But you can demonstrate your faith by your deeds. So your faith must be accompanied by works. Now I want to clarify this, that we, you and I are not saved by good works, please. You and I are saved by the grace of God. After you and I have been saved by the grace of God, you and I are called to do good deeds. Why? So that others can see that your your life and my life is transformed. That we are not just talking about Jesus with no actions to other people. You and I should make a difference in the lives of others after you and I become a Christian. That's why James used the analogy of a demon. What do demons believe? Demons have faith. By the way, there's no atheist or agnostic demons. Demons believe in Jesus. Demons believe in God. They believe in the existence of God. They are not atheists, not agnostics. Who is an atheist? An atheist is someone who does not believe in any God of gods. How about the agnostics? The agnostics are someone who does not know or believes that it is impossible to know if a God exists. What do demons believe? They also bear witness to Jesus' sonship. They believe in the existence of of a place of punishment. Demons also recognize Jesus Christ as the judge and submit to the power of His Word. The only difference is that the demons believe all this. Yes. So do we. We also do acknowledge that God exists. So does the demons. This is common ground. But this kind of faith does nothing for the demons because it isn't real faith and that is proved by the fact that it doesn't have works along with it. So faith without works is useless. James now uses the life of Abraham and Rahab, two different sets of people from the Old Testament to demonstrate the character of what is a living faith. James chapter 2, verse 21 to 26 says this, Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his, what, actions? When he offered his son Isaac on the altar, You see, his faith and his actions worked together. I repeat, verse 22. His faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions. When she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. You and I, we can learn from the character of Abraham and Rahab. And it's very clear that if we believe in God, we will do what He tells us to do. To help others even when it costs us something. Friends, when you when you want to help somebody, it's going to cost you your finances, one. It may even cost you your time, two. It may cost you even your energy. You cannot say, I help you without lifting up a finger. You have got to be there. You, sometimes you and I, we have got to get our hands dirty if we want to touch someone else's life, if we want to add value to someone else's life. Because why, if you and I, we just talk and talk and talk, but we don't do anything. James a. said, it's just like a body that is dead without breath. So also, faith is dead without good works. Many of us would have gone for a wake service. The body that is inside there is lifeless, dead. Cannot do anything, no more life, no more breath. Cannot help other people. But you and I, we are still alive. Are, you and I are still breathing today. You and I, we can help. You see, faith and actions is like, like this. It's like a wing of an aeroplane. One wing is faith. The other wing is actions. You need, you need two wings for the plane to take off. You take off one wing, you only have faith. You, there's no actions. The plane will never, will never fly. For those of you who love kayaking, you will know that you need both sides of the paddle. You only have one paddle. You see where you're your sampan will go, your kayak will go, you'll go in circles, either clockwise or anti clockwise, depending on which all which you use. You cannot go forward. So it's the same as our faith. You need both so that people can see that your faith is active. Words without works are worthless. A confession of faith is useless without that faith being put into practice. See, all of us can do something today. I love what Mother Teresa had this to say. Mother Teresa said this, hearing God's word and talking, uh, tomorrow, yesterday is gone, tomorrow has not yet come. We have only today. Let us begin. It's true, yesterday is gone. Tomorrow hasn't come, you have got today. What can you do today to add value into the life of other people? What will you do today to to, to stop showing favoritism, to stop having a blue-eyed boy or girl tomorrow when you walk into the office? What will you do differently with your children that if you know that you have been showing favoritism to your children, you have got to stop today? What will you do to help those who are really in need today to make a difference into the lives of others? You see, every Friday, those of us who are in a cell group, we go in, we listen to the to do either a video clip or some cell groups will be listening to the sermon that is being preached over this weekend. This Friday, you will be discussing about it. You see, all of us hear God's Word. Today, right now, we hear God's Word. This Friday, you will be going back to your cell to talk about God's Word. Talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. But no action. So hearing God's Word and talking about God's Word can never substitute for doing God's work. Enough of talking, it's time for you and I to roll up our sleeves and to do something different. Because you and I can talk until the cows come home, but no life is changed. The only thing is we keep on building up our hate knowledge over here. But hate knowledge doesn't touch our hearts and it doesn't compel us to touch another person's heart as well. So let us follow what Mother Teresa and what James have to tell us today. Do something different. Put your words, put your actions, and turn it into actions. Let's listen, let's, let's look at the video clip.
1: Excuse me, waiter?
2: Oh no, I'm, I'm actually the owner here. Oh. Hey guys, it's Dar. The video you're about to watch is about how the good you put out into the world Always finds a way of coming back to you. I hope you love this video, and make sure to stay till the end for shout-outs and giveaway winners.
1: I'm sorry. Can I get a table for one?
2: Of course. I can see you right now. Please, come Can I get something to eat today? Excuse me, ma'am. How many times do I gotta tell you that you're not welcome here? Honey, please. I'm just really hungry. Well, you should have thought of that years ago and learned your lesson when you used to work here, Paul. It seems like every time there was someone in need, you would just help them. Like that one homeless woman with the two colored eyes? I mean, how am I supposed to stay in business? It's not my fault that she's homeless. We're not in the business of helping people out. We're in the business of selling meals. Now, get out of here before you scare my customers away.
1: Sorry to interrupt, but do you have a table for two available instead?
2: Yes. Can I ask why?
1: I would like to treat Paul here to a nice warm meal.
2: I'm sorry, ma'am, but he's not welcome in this restaurant.
1: I wish you would reconsider. You see, a few years ago, I had just moved to this city, and I ended up becoming homeless. I would sleep outside of restaurants, and people like Paul would help me by giving me hot meals. If it wasn't for people like him, I don't know if I would have made it. As a matter of fact, it was actually Paul who was helping me. I was the homeless lady with the two colored eyes.
2: That's a really sweet story and all, ma'am, but he's not welcome in this restaurant. You can take your business elsewhere before I let that happen.
1: Okay. Before I go, have you ever heard of DM Capital?
2: Of course, they're my biggest client. (laughs) I probably wouldn't be in business without them.
1: Well, I'm Catherine Lilly, the CEO and founder of DM Capital. And from now on, we're going to be taking our business elsewhere and spending our dollars on companies that are about helping people, not selling meals. Come on, I know a great spot around the corner we can grab something.
2: Miss, I don't even know how to say thank
1: you. Don't even worry about it. And by the way, we're hiring. And I could use a guy like you.
2: God bless you, man. This is going to change my life.
1: Wow. You helped change mine. Come on.
2: No matter what...
0: You know, Catherine, who is the CEO of this company, she could have ignored Paul because she, is, she has already made it in life. She could have ignored this filthy, hungry man. But she remembered what he did for her when she was out, when she was a homeless lady. She offered him food. She did something which is very practical and that is to change his life. We, all of us here may not be a Catherine but we can be a Catherine that we can be used by God to touch other people's lives. You may not hire hire a Paul. You may not Take him in and be your staff. But you and I can do something practical for somebody that God may have brought across your path. And sometimes we may not have gone out of the way to help this person. We may take it, and some of us may even have made the mistake of saying, I will pray for you. I will pray for you but when you know that deep down inside you can do more than prayer for this person. So shall we stand this morning as we do our own personal business with God as the worship team comes back? There are two things that James is dealing with all of us here. The question is in the area of favouritism. Favouritism is Sin. And you know that if you show favoritism and you continue to show favoritism, you have decided that, God, I choose to sin against you. And if we choose to continue in this path, then let us also remember that all of us will face judgment by what we say and what we do. And today is a good day for all of us to make a U-turn, to stop showing favoritism and come back to God and say, God, forgive me for showing favoritism to so-and-so in my office, in my department, to my children. I'm so sorry that I showed favoritism to them. This one area that you and I, we can come in repentance and ask God for forgiveness and God will forgive you. And I ask for the Holy Spirit to help you and to guide you so that from today onwards you will treat others equally, irrespective of whether of their social status, colour, of skin, educated or uneducated because Christ died for all of them. See, when you do one of these little things by not showing favoritism, Jesus said that you're doing it unto me as well. Secondly, that if you know of somebody that God has brought into your life, whether it's in the office, whether it's your neighbour, whether it's your relative and all that, who needs any kind of help. It may not even have to be financial, but you know that God has brought this person into your path. That's a divine appointment. Just as I believe that when I met Asing at the coffee shop, there are so many coffee shops he could have gone to, but he, and I could have gone to any other coffee shops, but I chose to go to the coffee shop and he was there. To me, that's a divine appointment. To me, that is a place whereby God says, do something differently for this man. So let's come into the presence of God. One is for you to ask God for forgiveness. And say, God, use my life once again. You look at my heart, you you know my heart. The other one is to look at your heart as well to help someone who may be in need today. Let's worship God together.